Let's open the Scriptures to the book of Kings and then the Gospel of John, 1 Kings 17, and then the Gospel of John, chapter 10. 1 Kings 17, in your pew Bible, page 379. These readings, as mentioned in the prayer, are taken in connection with the fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. And we see how the Lord does that for Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, and that's the king of Israel, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, because according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. We turn now to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, page 1141, 1141 in the Pew Bible. And we'll read the verses 22 through 39. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, 
how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and Scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the, whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. That's as far as we'll go. I invite you to turn with me in the Book of Praise to page 562 where we as church confess the meaning of the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 50 of the Heidelberg Catechism. There we ask, what is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. That is, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good and that our care and labor and also your gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. That's our confession in Lord's Day 50. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing together Psalm 65, the stanzas 5 and 6, where the Lord, we celebrate the Lord's goodness to us in providing the bounty of the land, crops, and water, and so on. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you recall a few weeks ago when I first began preaching on the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Day 45, you might recall that we saw then how prayer itself is a gift, a gracious gift from God to us. It's from a God who wants to forge a relationship with us. That's where the grace comes in big time because we sinners by our nature, we don't even want a relationship with God. 
In the Garden of Eden, we ran away from the Lord and hid. Prior to that, we had eaten the fruit because we didn't want God to be our king. So by instinct now, since that time, we don't want God to rule over us. We don't like being under God's control. We don't like having to answer to the Lord. Simply put, by nature, we don't like God. But despite that rebellious instinct, despite our hateful hearts, the Lord has said to us all throughout history, but I love you. And I want a relationship with you. I want it to be like it was at the beginning when I would walk with you and talk with you in the sweet friendship of the cool of the day. And to get us to that point, he has given us the gift of prayer. It's one of those gifts that leads us back to that sweet fellowship. So when God says, when he hands us the gift of prayer, when he says, talk to me, call upon me, open your heart to me, then he's restoring to us that, that covenant friendship and fellowship. He's teaching us how to be his friend again. He's already proven, God has, that he is our friend by wanting to receive us back, by sending his son to cover all our sins by his death. And now, through the gift of prayer, he's training us to be his faithful people, his children who love him, who are learning to love him back. Prayer is teaching us how to fight against the instinct of our heart, that, that dislike for God, and instead teach us how to reach out to the Lord, to speak with our God as a friend, and much more how to think about our God and how to conduct ourselves as his children. Just think, for example, of the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer. We've already looked at them. And think about how none of these three things come naturally to us. Right? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Father. Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't find it natural to spend time praising God, to spend time submitting my will to His will and denying myself. Do you find that natural? I think we'll all admit we, we have to work at those things. These three petitions are already teaching us to reorient our thinking, our attitudes, to set God, our Father, and His glory, to set that, all of that, as the number one focus of our lives and, and, and as the joy of our hearts. I am God's friend, and I express that when I want God's glory. I am truly the Father's child when I desire my Father's kingdom. And I really am my father's son when I learn to live out of the father's grace, out of his provision, when I learn to live out of my father's hand day by day. And that brings us to the 
fourth petition. That's the thrust of the fourth petition. As I proclaim this word of the Lord to you under this theme phrased as a prayer, Father, teach us to live out of your hand day by day. We'll see two things, the hand that feeds us and the hand that holds us. Now, this petition is, of course, very familiar to us. Give us this day our daily bread. And the first thing that strikes you when you work your way through the Lord's Prayer is that we've switched from focusing directly on God to now focus directly on ourselves. The first three petitions, they all ask for things related to God, God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. And then the last three petitions relate to us and to our fellow Christians. We are to ask after our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins and our struggle with temptation. You can see how this mirrors the, the Ten Commandments, the two tables of the law. The first four commandments all deal with directly serving God. The last six commandments deal directly with serving our neighbor. First God, then our neighbor. So there are these two focal points in the Lord's Prayer, but we, we shouldn't get into the mindset that, or, or the habit of thinking that they're, they're two separate parts, that they have no connection to each other. And again, we, we can see how those two are connected when we think back to the Ten Commandments. Serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor, is very much part and parcel of how we serve God. They're not two totally different things. If we, for example, follow the commandments, the first one, if we truly worship God alone, if we do so according to His Word in Scripture, second commandment, if we do that with a, a godly, humble attitude and honor His day of rest, the third and fourth commandment, then out of that faith in and love for God is going to flow something. What's going to flow? A love and respect for our neighbor. The two tables of the law belong together and form one will of God for our lives. Well, so it is in the Lord's Prayer. The things we ask for have everything to do with our Heavenly Father. Even if we're asking it for ourselves, it's related to God. We ask for food. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for protection from temptation. Why? So that we will be able to do certain things. What things? Obey the Father's will submit to his kingship, and express the praise and glory of his name. To say it differently, the Lord Jesus is teaching us to ask our Father for everything we need so that we can live out those, those purposes of our lives, that, that number one purpose to glorify our Father in heaven. So these, this whole prayer is, is a unit. And we glorify our Heavenly Father when we live close to Him, when we learn to receive from our Father day by day and even moment by moment, all those things are directed by Him. To say it a little bit differently, we glorify God when we learn to live each 
minute of every day out of our Father's hand. That's the, the principle embedded in the fourth petition. We live in dependence on our Father. And that goes against the natural instinct we've got. We have to confront ourselves with that. Our sinful nature wants us to be and makes us desire to be independent. Kind of like cowboys. The, the cowboy or the cowgirl spirit of the Wild West of yesteryear. You ever notice that how that cowboy spirit comes out in those westerns you might have watched? Or read? I used to read a lot of Louis L'Amour. In younger days, I used to love reading about the Sackett family, the fiercely independent family of self-made men and self-made women. They didn't take any handouts. They didn't need any help, the Sacketts. They would give help, but they would never take charity. They could fight with the best of them. They could handle their weapons. They could handle their fists. They could shoot fast and straight and get by all on their own. We like that idea, don't we? There's something in the human spirit that's drawn to the thought that I am strong enough, I am smart enough, I am careful enough to get through life just fine on my own. I don't need anybody. I don't even need God. You ever noticed how the, the heroes in the Westerns never pray to God? The cowboy lives by his six-gun, by his wits, his ingenuity. He's got a code of honor that he lives by, but leaning on God and daily praying for the Father to provide all of his needs, that's not part of the cowboy code. At least not how it's presented in the novels and on TV. And if we're honest, it's not part of our code either, is it? Not naturally. The catechism is, is getting at this underlying issue, this underlying principle when it says, provide us with all our bodily needs so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good. You. You, Father, are the only source of all good things. We read that recently in James 1.17. Only the Father provides good gifts. I don't provide for myself, not ultimately. It's not my intelligence, it's not my skill, it's not my ingenuity, nor is it the government or doctors or economists. Only God is the source of all good things. And Lord's Day 50 goes a little further, and all our care and labor and also God's gifts cannot do us any good without your blessing. This is like opposite world for the cowboy, isn't it? And for our sinner's heart, we have this, this tendency inside to think and believe that if we work hard, we can accomplish anything. And, and of course, every movie and television program out there tells us that. You can be what you want to be, just work hard for it. Our whole society keeps repeating this unholy mantra in different ways. Together we will... You can fill in the blank. Together we will defeat, lately it's been, defeat the coronavirus. If we work hard and do smart things and make sacrifices now, together we will rebuild the economy and restore our fortunes and make the world a safe place. 
But where is God in their thinking? Where is God in the thinking at Queen's Park or in Parliament Hill or in any legislature across the land? All of this is just another form of cowboy talk from coast to coast. It's putting trust in man and man's ability to provide for himself, and that's been our sin from the beginning. Jesus is saying in this fourth petition, abandon that way of thinking. Abandon your self-trust. Pray to your Father instead. Father, give us this day our daily bread. You are the giver. Give us the health and recovery we need. Give us relief, O God. It's a lesson that God teaches us, for example, in the ministry of Elijah, which we read about in 1 Kings 17. Maybe you'd like to turn with me there for a few moments. 1 Kings 17. Under the leadership of King Ahab, the nation of Israel had turned their backs on the Lord and they had worshipped Baal. Now, Baal was a favorite god. There was a number of gods among the pagans. Baal was a favorite because Baal could make you rich. That was the attraction. They believed Baal provided certain things. Baal provided good health. Baal provided lots of animals and, and a Lots of children, a strong family, and also plentiful crops. Baal was the storm god who provided rain and moisture and gave fertility, which in turn would make a person rich with prosperous farms and families. So people turned to Baal. And I, I just wanna, want you to see that that's still very much the cowboy mentality, pre-cowboy, if you will, but same line. Instead of living by their six-gun and their wits, people were living by bowing down to Baal and they would use Baal. That by making the right sacrifices, they would use Baal to get what they wanted. And the same spirit exists between the cowboy and the Baal worshipers. Both share the spirit of using. The cowboy says, I will use my gun and my skill to build my fortune. And the Baal worshiper says, I will use the priests of Baal and the house of Baal and the God called Baal to build my fortune. I'm going to use these things to build my kingdom. Either way, man is pushing the buttons to get what he wants from life exactly like Adam and Eve did. Just want to point that out. It's the same mentality. So this is the background to what God does here in 1 Kings 17. And look at what the Lord does through Elijah. He says there in the early verses of the chapter, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, that's verse 1, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. God was canceling. This is cancel culture from God's side. God was canceling the dew and canceling the rain. Why would God do that? How does that relate to Baal? Well, Baal was the, the god of the rains, the storm god. And it's the Lord's way of saying to his people, oh, you depend, you put your trust in Baal, do you? You think Baal controls the rains and the moisture. 
the God that you think you can manipulate to prosper yourselves, well, I'm going to tell you this, you won't get so much as a drop of water from the sky. You won't even get dew on your grass until I, the Lord, the real God, say so. My people, you are not living for the glory of my name. You've got no interest in my kingdom. You've got no interest in my will. First three petitions of the prayer. And so I'm not going to provide for you your daily bread until you learn to see the hand that truly feeds you. No do, Israel. Until you learn to love your Father in heaven and live out of my gracious provision. For our Father is gracious and kind and generous and powerful. And he very much wants to provide for all our daily needs and have us look to him for all that we require. This is a huge part of that covenant relationship that he's established from the beginning, that men and women would eat and drink out of the bounty provided by God, out of the Lord's liberal supply, that we would do that not as selfish users but as loving children. In the same way that any of, of the earthly fathers here would be happy and is happy to provide food and shelter and clothing for his family, for his children, and he wants his kids, right? Every dad here, you want your kids to enjoy those, those things you provide, right? You want your children to appreciate what they've received, to express that appreciation from, uh, to their dad and to their mom and to cheerfully do the tasks around the house. In the same way, God wants us to receive with thankfulness all that he provides and, and put it to good use in his service. Remember how the Garden of Eden was stocked with every kind of fruit tree and with streams of, of fresh water? The Lord set up a bountiful situation for Adam and Eve. That was the Father's way of saying, eat and drink, my children. Be happy here. Find everything you need and more. Be happy and, and loving me while you're serving me. It was to be a joyful service. So this fourth commandment comes down to a, a really basic trust issue. Do you trust that your Father in heaven will provide for you? The Catechism reminds us that by nature we put our trust in anything but God. We confess that when we say this, grant therefore that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. We, act, we have to actively withdraw our trust from creatures and place it in the Creator. We're not born in a neutral state in the trust department, but we are born trusting in someone or something else among the creatures. Often it's ourselves. As Christians, we have to break off trusting in, the, in others and direct our trust only to our Father in heaven. Where are you in that endeavor, brothers and sisters? Do you trust your Father? for all your needs. Food, shelter, clothing, whatever the need, mental stability, physical health, peaceful relationships with people close to you. Do you think 
Do you believe in your heart that your Father's hand can provide what you need and will provide what you need in every single area of life? Do you look to God to provide you your daily job, to give you the ability to do your daily job? Do you look to your Father above for how you'll get along with your spouse or your children? or your parent? Do you ask your father for help to, to love your spouse well, emotionally and physically and sexually? Or do you just think, well, that's just my area and never bring God into it? Have you fallen into the rut of thinking that there's nothing God can say or do about certain areas of my life? Or maybe God doesn't care about those intimate details of life. Well, God does care about the intimate details of everyone's life. We see that for how he provided for Elijah. Going back into 1 uh, Kings 17 for a minute. There was to be no rain in the land, which would have quickly caused drought and famine because it was a semi-arid climate anyway, so it was always dry, but the Lord took care of his servant in all of that. Elijah the prophet was learning firsthand just how caring God was, how powerful our covenant God is. He was commanded to go and live by the brook Kareth so that he could drink water daily. And then the Lord adds this command in verse 4, I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Isn't that, isn't that something? I've commanded the ravens to feed you. It would have been natural for Elijah to, to, to wonder about that. Ravens will, will feed me? Have you ever seen, brothers and sisters, a raven or a crow, which is kind of like a raven? We see more crows in our parts. Have you ever seen a crow give food away to another creature, let alone to a human? Ravens are scavenger birds. They're fierce and they're feisty. They're quite willing to fight over roadkill. Ravens are not exactly the sharing type, but the Lord says, I'll send the ravens to provide for you. And then look what, the, what actually happens. Verse 6, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Do you see in that, brothers and sisters, the power and the love and the comfort in that for this lonely prophet? He's all by himself. Ahab is against him and all of Israel hates him. The power and the love is that God provides daily food and water, even by the most unlikely means. And Elijah learned to live one day at a time out of his father's hand. He had to wait for the ravens to come in the morning. And he had to wait for the ravens to come in the evening. And they never let him down. God never let him down. This, brothers and sisters, is, is the display of your unfailing covenant God. This is who he is. You therefore have every reason to put your trust in him. He's not going to let you down. Same as he didn't let Elijah down. 
And the comfort here is, is meant to run deep, for the Lord didn't appoint a dove or, or a pigeon to bring meat. You know, that would have been just as easy for the Almighty God to appoint uh, a bird that's more easily domesticated, like a dove or a pigeon, but the Lord chooses a raven, the most unlikely of birds, and commands that bird to do something 100% against its nature, to provide generously for the needs of a human being. This was an encouragement to this, this prophet who was prophesying to a stubborn and rebellious people, to a nation whose nature was 100% turned against the Lord. Well, if my God can command the ravens to share meat and bread with me, that was the message for Elijah, then surely he can command the hearts of his people, Israel, to soften and turn back to him. And surely the Lord can command the hearts of people we know that are currently turned against him to turn back to him. Brothers and sisters, do not sell your God short. In any area of life, he is all-powerful, he's all-loving, and he's totally committed to providing for all your needs down to the tiniest or most private area of your life. So turn to him with all your heart. Lay bare before him all your needs, whatever it is, from the bedroom to the basement to the rooftop. And see the hand that feeds you. Father, teach us to live each day out of your gracious hand. For as we live in dependence on our Father, we'll know ourselves more and more to be eternally safe in the hand that holds us. There's a lot of talk these last months about being safe. It's become the new way of saying goodbye. We used to say, see you later and have a good time. Now we say, see you later and stay safe. In COVID-19, many people are concerned about their physical health and safety. They don't want to get sick and die. Despite all of our society's pretense that death doesn't bother them, and we know that they're trying to ignore it because they don't have funerals anymore. They have celebrations of life. Despite all the, the pretense and despite being cavalier about killing babies in the womb or letting old people who are sick die and what they call euthanasia, many are very, very worried about catching a virus, aren't they? There's many in our society who don't feel safe at all who don't want to die. But when we learn to pray and live the fourth petition, a sense of safety comes over us that surpasses whatever the world can come up with. And it's not a pretend thing. It's not just a manufactured, feel-good thing that they drum into your, your conscience as a mantra, but it's the peace that the Holy Spirit of Christ brings upon us as we know ourselves, we really know ourselves to be firmly held in our Father's heavenly hands. You're safe there. Elijah was resting at the Kareth Brook. 
He had to trust that the ravens would come in the morning and then return in the evening, and as we mentioned, they never failed. Elijah was growing then every day in his dependence on his father. He was growing in his faith and trust. How that would have been strengthened for uh, hundreds of days. We don't know exactly how long he was there, but into the hundreds, let's say, that the ravens came morning and night. Amazing. Elijah knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that his heavenly father was perfectly trustworthy. He was going to provide for all his needs. He felt himself safe in his father's hands. That's why Elijah doesn't raise any questions or wonder or express concern about the next command he receives from God once the brook dries up. The Lord says to him, Go to Zarephath. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Let's think about this for a minute. We want to, to pause here and, and say, if we were in Elijah's shoes, uh, pardon me, Lord? You, you want me to go where? You know that Zarephath is a Gentile city, right? You want me, a Jew, an Israelite, to go to a Gentile city and a Gentile widow is going to feed me in this place? This command is as incredible, maybe more incredible than the command for the ravens to feed Elijah. That any Gentile would feed an Israelite would already be hard to believe. But that a Gentile woman who herself is a widow is even harder to believe because a widow was the poorest of the poor in those days. Especially in a time of drought and famine, a widow would have had next to nothing to provide for herself, never mind a guest. You might think that the Lord would arrange for a wealthy person to take Elijah under his wing, but no, he chooses what is least likely from a human perspective, an impossible source of food and drink. Why does he do that? To underline that he is the caregiver. He is the one who provides for his people. And he has no limits to his abilities. God provides, and if he so chooses, he can use a widow to feed his prophets. He can cause the flour jar never to empty and the oil jug never to dry up. This is your Father in heaven, beloved. Hasn't changed. Filled with love, filled with compassion, still desires to provide for you and for me every day sent His only begotten Son to die in our place so that you and I can live forever, so that your Father could supply your daily needs as you and I live in close friendship with Him. This is your God. Don't you feel safe with a God like that? We're meant to. We can't keep ourselves safe in this life. Of course, God commands us to act responsibly and take precautions to avoid danger and harm, also in the time of spreading sickness, but we haven't got the power to seal ourselves in total safety. 
We cannot trust ourselves or the government or the doctors or any of the measures to keep us safe. No, we trust our Father to keep us safe. And then it's a safety that goes far beyond not getting a certain virus. It's a safety that guards our true life. The life that we have in fellowship with our Father through Jesus. The life of covenant friendship. The life... That life is perfectly and totally safe in our Father's hands. It, it cannot be affected by viruses. It cannot be affected or damaged by anything in this world. That's why we read John 10. Listen to our Savior tell it. He says, I give them, my sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never! No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, says the Lord Jesus. Isn't that Wonderful news? Isn't that the great relief of life? That means when this present life comes to an end, and we sang it from Psalm 31, the days of our life are numbered, okay? Nobody's going to die before the time comes. God's got that marked out on his calendar. Don't worry about that. But when that day comes, life doesn't end for you and me. It carries on. Because Jesus has paid for all our sins and brought you and me back into our Father's family, we can live as our Father's children and we will carry on with that life in heaven. When I take my last breath on earth, the next moment I'll take my first breath in heaven. That's what the Lord Jesus has done for us. That's the safety every Christian has. And no coronavirus can threaten it, no stroke no cancer, no abscess of the heart, no dementia, no Parkinson's. You name the threat. No enemy can snatch one of us out of our Father's hand, said the Lord Jesus. He and the Father are one. That's a double promise, isn't it? A double confirmation of everlasting safety in the the hand that holds us. Well, that, that brings up a prayer, doesn't it? Father, I love you, and I love your hand. Teach me to live out of your hand and your hand alone every day. Teach me, Father, to be your friend as you have always been my friend. Amen.